please take your seats. Cheryl, thank you so much. I think the definition of courage is not to be unafraid, but to be afraid and do it anyway. So thank you for being courageous. We appreciate it. So um, if you've got your Bibles, chaps, please turn to Acts chapter 2. We're going to carry on our series, Fuel Your Devotion, six fantastic practices to do exactly that. So uh, we've been looking at this passage in Scripture. I'm going to start reading it to you. Um, Acts 2, starting at verse 32. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number, that is the church, that day. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together, had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Each day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So it's a wonderful passage in Scripture. It's really encouraging. And uh, the verse that we've been concentrating on is the verse that says, they devoted themselves. Uh, so at Saints Church, uh, we as leaders want to equip you. We can't be devoted for you. We can be devoted to our service to God, but we all have to be devoted ourselves. And we've been looking at that and thinking about what that actually means. So we've been asking these three questions to fuel our own devotion. Uh, what do I desire? What must I deny? And what must I devote myself to? Uh, the first week we looked at communion and the fact that as we regularly practice communion, it helps us in our fellowship with each other. Last week, um, David brought what I thought was the best sermon I've ever heard personally on fasting and the importance of fasting. I thought it was excellent. I thought we learned, I learned a lot of things that day. I thought it was wonderful. Today, we're going to look at this verse where it says they, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. What does that actually look like? So the first question we're going to ask ourselves is, what do I desire? What do I desire? When we first kicked off this series, we said, if you were to paint a picture in your mind of what you desire when it comes to fasting or teaching or uh, your faith and your relationship with God, what would that look like? Uh, what would it look like? When it comes to teaching, um, there have been certain things that happened in my life that have helped paint me that picture. So some of you will know that when I was at school, um, my friend, I wasn't bullied, but my friends would pick on me for being a Christian. I told this story many times. They would hang me from the ceiling, put me under chairs. But it wasn't just the, the, the um, students, it was the teachers that would pick on me as well. So um, in my school, North Manchester Boys School, there were two campuses. There was a high uh, there was the high school campus and the lower school campus. There was about a five-minute walk in between. And I used to go to biology in the lower school campus. And there was a teacher there who had some kind of major issue with Christianity. Uh, and he would pick on me like crazy. Uh, I was in a class of 35 boys. Only three of us believed in anything supernatural. So there was myself who was a Christian. Jonathan and Graham were twins and were into the occult, and everybody else believed there was nothing supernatural. And this teacher used to pick on me, which kind of made me popular because what I could do is all the other students would say to me, hey, get him talking about Christianity. He'll stop teaching us. We can relax for 15 minutes, and he'll just like go off on one and, and shout at you. So I would do that every so often. made me popular. I thought it was great. Um, 
One day, um, it got really bad because I went down to lower school, and when we got to lower school, uh, we couldn't get in the classroom because it was locked, the door was locked. So there was a big queue of us, and there was some issue with the doors that day, and, and the corridors were packed with young people. And this teacher, this biology teacher, shouted, Oi, Christian, go to the office and get the key. And from that day on, every time I would walk down to lower school, the entire school, when I walked through the program, would shout, Oi, Christian at me. And that was, became my nickname was Oi Christian uh, for, for that part of my last part of school. And um, so we would have all these conversations for, for like months about this and, and he would get quite angry. I wouldn't get angry but we would talk about our faith. And then one day um, towards the end of my schooling we were, we were in the classroom and we got on this debate and he said to me, uh, you know, anyway you can believe anything, it makes no difference. And I said, well, actually, Jesus said that he was the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one would come to the Father except through him. To which he replied, that's not true. He never said that. I said, no, no, Jesus said that. He said, that's in the Bible. I said, yeah, that's in the Bible. Now, what I've learned over the years is most people who don't have any kind of religious background aren't generally anti-Christian. In my experience, it may be different. The people who are really anti-Christian are people who've had some kind of experience of God. So something's happened in his background, I think. So he says, that, that, that's not true. He doesn't say that in the Bible. Jesus never said that. I said, no, it, it, it does. He said, he said, I'll tell you what, Paul, you show me Jesus said that in the Bible, and I'll believe here and now. And the class went, <gasps> Now, I used to carry a little Bible in my pocket, um, in, in my school bag, and so I got my Bible out. It was about this big. I think I've told you the story about how I gave it away to my grandfather. And uh, I, I have a problem with my memory. I can't remember things very well. So I started to, to look, and I couldn't remember exactly where it was. Now I know it's in John, but I couldn't remember exactly where it was. And I said, I thought, well, hang on a second. I, I know Jesus said it's, it's got to be in the Gospels. Give me a minute. I'm going to try to read through. And eventually the atmosphere just finished. Everybody laughed at me. And it just, he just, yeah, that's what I thought. Let's carry on the lesson. And I often think back to what would the impact have been if I could have found that Bible verse. Because he said to the entire class and to me, if you can prove that to me, I'll believe here and now. But I couldn't because I couldn't find it. And when I paint the picture of, of my devotion to teaching, it's a place where I can respond to what people need in the same way Cheryl was talking about and be able to give them the things, not my opinions, but Jesus' words. And the other thing that, that is in my mind, I don't know what's in your mind, is, is the desire to teach others, but also to help me understand the will of God. It says this in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 11. We have much to say about this, but it's hard to make it clear to you because you are no longer trying to understand. In fact, by this time, you ought to be teachers. You need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish between good from evil. Romans 12, Paul puts it this way. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your heart, no, your mind, then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So I want to be that person. I want to be that person that's not tossed back and forward by the latest trends. 
I want to know the difference between a truth and a trend, don't you? I want to be someone who's solid in my walk with God. I want to be someone who's not easily knocked off the path. And I want to be somebody, the picture I have of myself is someone who can respond and be strong for other people. That's what I desire. What about you? What's your desire when it comes to the Word of God and the teaching of Christ? And secondly, we have to ask the question, what do we need to deny? So we've talked about this uh, fact that when you mature, uh, the more mature you become, the less your rights uh, less you, you think about your rights and the more you think about your responsibilities. So what does that look like when we come to this? It says this in um, James. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault. And it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt. Because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. It's pretty harsh, I think. Pretty harsh. Because um, Jesus, uh, on the other hand, when Thomas doubted, didn't, didn't um, really have a go at Thomas. He didn't really attack Thomas for doubting. I think doubting sometimes leads to greater faith. Because when we doubt, we often search, which can lead us to greater faith. So what's going on in this passage what must we deny? We need to deny the fact that we just expect to come to church and just grow. Because uh, our faith needs to be more than incidental. It has to be intentional. That there are things that we have to do to grow. I can come to church uh, and yes, things will wash over me and some of those things will stick. But the apostles had disciples who were devoted to their teaching and they absolutely took on responsibility to understand those things themselves. So we have to understand that for those of us who tithe, our tithe is not a tax. It doesn't buy us anything. It's not buying us wisdom. It's not buying us knowledge. We come to church and, and for those of us who give, we give and that's great, but there's this responsibility we have. So what do we, what do we need to understand? So I think what's interesting about this is this word wisdom. What does wisdom actually look like? So uh, in Hebrew thinking, uh, there's a word for wisdom it's called kabad. And kabad is an anagram for three different words that make up wisdom. This is how you become wise in Hebrew thinking. The first word is a chokma, which means insight. Uh, this is where you hear something. So the thing with knowledge is knowledge is getting cheaper. Have you noticed that knowledge is cheaper? I was in Half Price Books yesterday, and I saw a book that I've always wanted. It's called the Mishnah. It's um, a book of oral laws that... For most people, it would be boring, but I'm a bit of a nerd, so I would, I would like it. And it was half price. It was $30 half price. I thought, I wonder how much it is if it's not half price. And it was, so I looked it up, and it's 60. I know, <laughs> as I say it now, I'm thinking, actually, that's not wise. But anyway, <laughs> so I looked it up, and it wasn't $60. It was $67 on Amazon. So, yes, right. so it was more than, uh, less than half price uh, books. So I'm thinking, okay, $67 is a lot to, to pay for a book. $30 is a lot to pay for a book. I looked online. I thought, I wonder if I can get this online. I looked online, and I downloaded an app, and I got it for free on my app. In fact, there was a whole volume set of the Talmud, which is another book you're not going to be interested in. But it's a, like an encyclopedia of um, Jewish thoughts. And well, I just love it because it gives me more insight into what Jesus was thinking and and vol each volume was $20. It would have been hundreds of dollars. When I downloaded this app, I got both the Mishnah and the Talmud as well for free. 
Knowledge is getting cheaper. Wisdom, however, is more rare. Knowledge is cheaper. Do you know that scientists are working right now on implants where they can give you knowledge instantly? Now, I know this, this sounds like science fiction, but think about explaining an iPod or the internet to somebody 20, 30 years ago. So what they're doing is now they're working on the idea, because most science is driven by imagination, the idea of what if, when you go into France, rather than having to learn French, you could have a procedure that implants French into your brain, including a musical instrument and teaching. All right? That'd be great, wouldn't it, if that could happen? That's literally what we're working on. So, so my grandchildren maybe will experience that. Uh, you know, that, well, one day we actually asked you to sit down, open books, and learn it. You had to learn it? Yeah, you couldn't just go to a doctor and get it? No, you had to actually learn it. Wow. Knowledge is, is becoming cheaper and cheaper and cheaper. But wisdom is expensive. So the first uh, part of this is um, about uh, chokma. And this is the first flash of insight. So everybody right now is receiving chokma. So as we read the Word of God, as we teach, all of us receive this. So everybody in the room gets a fair shot at this. Um, the key here, though, is getting yourself in the right place. You're going to hear it because you've come to church. Uh, you've come to church and you've put yourself under the teaching of the Word of God. That's the first step of wisdom. Some people don't do that. Um, we don't have this situation in our church, but in some churches, the experience is different at the back than it is on the front row. If you go to a large church with lots of people, on the back you feel like a spectator, on the front row or near the front, you feel like you're really participating. In our church, because we're, we're still small, uh, we don't sense that as much. But, you know, you wouldn't, if you go to a stadium to watch the Cowboys game, or United, you know, somebody good, um, then you're going to pay different prices, aren't you? You're going to pay different prices. If I went to a U2 concert at, this, at the stadium, AT&T Stadium, a couple of years ago, and this is where your accent gets you far, I managed to, I had a nosebleed, bleed seat and the sound was terrible and I managed to charm my way into a VIP area and I was about a hundred yards away from Bono. It was amazing. Completely different experience. It's the same in church as well. So the first step of Chabad uh, or Chabad I should say, the first step is Chokma. It's getting yourself in the right place so you can hear wisdom. Uh, the second part of wisdom and perhaps the most important is Bina. And this means discernment. It comes from the word between. So this is where you hear something, but then you learn to discern if this is true or not. You know, we talked about hearing the voice of God before. You hear something. This is where you have the wisdom to discern. Is that God? Is that not God? Is that real? Is it not real? Is it true? Is it not true? So we're all here hearing me speak. But for some of us, Bina is kicking in and saying, this is true, I need to hear this. Other of us were thinking, this is interesting. I don't know if this is helpful or not. It's that discernment of knowing in the teaching or what you're hearing or what you're watching on TV, should I be watching this? Should I not be watching this? You know, the fool says in his heart, this is not influencing me. Uh, the wise person says, everything influences me, so I need to choose what I allow to influence me. So you have chokma, then you have bina, and then finally you have this word dat. And dat is uh, knowledge. Dat is where you um, hear something, you discern it is correct, it is God, it is truthful, and then you practice it. You repeat it. 
And that's what's going on in this passage of Scripture. In this passage of Scripture, they're meeting together daily. They're coming to the temple courts on a regular basis. They're doing it because they realize this is God speaking, and they're practicing by breaking of bread and meeting together daily. They're practicing what they're teaching in a really super intense way, and the church is growing, and amazing things are happening. And because of their faith, the apostles are able to do miracles. It's an exciting, phenomenal time because not so much the apostles, but the people who are hearing have this understanding and this discernment and this wisdom and this knowledge. So this is when you practice something, it becomes part of you. And it's partly giving up the right to stay where you are. So when I first started in ministry, working in schools, um, I did a lot of gaining teaching, but the kind of books I would read would be like books on object lessons and um, um, kind of simple ways and games to help 12 and 13-year-olds find learning about Jesus fun and understand it. And then what happened was, after doing that, I needed to recruit people to do what I did. So then I would turn up at events to do these one-off talks. I remember turning up to an event, and, and, and a lady who had kind of booked me to speak said, uh, here's the podium. I said, thank you. She said, here's the microphone, and here's the tissues. And she put little boxes of tissues on the front. I said, okay. I said, thank you. I know what this is for. Not this, what are the boxes of tissues for? She said, that's when God moves and everybody cries. And in her mind, she felt, she kind of like, when God moves, people cry. That was the way she thought about it, which puts pressure on me. I, I can make people cry really easy, but not the way she wants me to, you know? <laughs> that was what went through my mind at that time. But suddenly, when I would do these events, you had, to, you had normally 25 minutes to people, make people laugh, and then make people cry, and they come to the front and give their lives to Jesus. And, and I thought, I need, to, I, need to, I need to learn a new way of teaching. So I remember going out and reading books on, great just examples and missionary stories and inspiring stories I could share alongside the Bible stories. And then I recruited people and then I had to learn how to train them. So then I would go and start learning from um, leadership books and sit down with leadership books and learn how to recruit them. And then nowadays I'm speaking to denominational leaders about what is the purpose of the church and how does the church work. And now I read more academic books. So for me, it's been, it's been this process. Where are you? Are you taking on board things now that are different from what you took on board two years ago? Are you taking on board the same kind of knowledge now uh, that you were three years ago? Or have you stepped further? Have you taken an extra step? Are you devoted to training yourself? Are you devoted to that? It's always incredibly super beneficial. So as much as I would love to be able to massively help you in my teaching, as much as all our leaders would, we know that basically it's going to come down to you being devoted to that teaching. So what do I need to devote myself to? Can I give you some practical ideas? Uh, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread. Let me give you four things I was taught when I became a Christian at 14. These were the four things I was trained in. I, I, I didn't go to mega church. I went to a little church uh, in Moston, Manchester. And I thank God so much for that. Because over the years of, of bringing recruits onto pays, they seem to be less biblically literate now than they ever were. And, and I thank God that a church said to me, it's your responsibility, Paul. Uh, it wasn't, hey, come to our church. We've got all these programs. We're going to look after you. We've got better programs in the church down the road. Just come to us and we'll take care of you. It was, no, you've got responsibility. Here were four things that were said to me. Number one, take notes. That was the first thing I was told. Take notes. 
Why take notes? So you can read them afterwards. Because no matter how great um, David's preaching was last week, I've forgotten most of it now. Uh, but if I, if I go and read my notes, it'll remind me. My little advice is, why well, I've changed the way I, I take notes. I used to write down everything somebody said. Now I realize that most of it I already know, so I just write down the bits that I didn't know or, or the bits that particularly touched me so that when I reread my notes, I, they don't get lost in all the other stuff I already knew. So I would encourage you to take notes. We have a podcast now, so you can take notes or you can listen to it on a podcast. So if something really speaks to you or you're learning something, I'd encourage you, you know, when you're out jogging or whatever you're doing, maybe just sit down and re-listen to the podcast. It's going to double up what God has been saying to you. It's going to remind you. You're going to miss things uh, in the first place anyway. Um, secondly, tell others. Tell others. That was one of the first things I was told, tell others. Let me just explain something to you about learning. I'm going to do a little experiment with you. I've never done this with anybody before. It's very, very simple. In three seconds, I'm going to count down from three. I'm going to count down from three. I want everybody to take a, a great big breath and hold it. Okay? And wait. Don't breathe out. Then a few seconds later, I'm going to give you one more instruction. Okay? And it's not going to be breathed out. Okay? So after three, I want you to take a big gulp of breath and hold it as long as you can. Okay? I'm going to give you another instruction. Because breathing is like learning. Here we go. Three, two, one. <laughs> okay, get ready okay now take another breath how many of you found that difficult wait now you breathed out now take another breath <laughs> now breathe out <laughs> okay <laughs> three of you need to go to hospital right now <laughs> learning is like breathing you know, if you, you can breathe in, if I, if I got you to hold your breath for a few, you know, for a minute or something, and you try to breathe again, you would really, really struggle, because you have to breathe out, don't you? When you hold your breath, the reason you, you can only hold your breath for a certain amount of time is not because you need to breathe in more oxygen, it's because you need to get out what's just been in. If somebody's very, very unhealthy, how can you tell they're really unhealthy very easily? They do any form of exercise, and it's heavy breathing, isn't it? They walk, walk up the step or they walk up some stairs. You get to the top of the stairs and you, <laughs> you know you're out of shape. Because uh, that's not how we should learn either. Big gulps, hold on. Then we Breathing is best when it's just light. <sighs> and that's, that's how learning is. We take in, we share. We receive, we share. We receive, we share. There are lots of ways you can share. You can share with your friends. We can talk afterwards in fellowship. We can say, hey, David preached on fast. That was really interesting. What did you learn? Here's what I learned. And um, there's an Arabic proverb I love to quote, to teach is to learn twice. To teach is to learn twice. You can hashtag, you can tell others now on social media. You can say, hey, you know, this is what we said at church this morning, or this is what we sang at church this morning, hashtag Saints Viridian, or whatever you want to do. Pardon? Hashtag just breathe, yeah. So you can, you can do that. We can tell others. Thirdly, go to a Bible study. Uh, we have a Bible study starting up this Tuesday. It's a great way you can be devoted to teaching. Is we have it. You don't have to be a Christian to come to our Bible study. Uh, you just have to be leaning forward and interested in the things of God. And we will teach you how to study the Bible for yourself. You come a few weeks and you'll be able to study anything, anywhere in Scripture or, or for yourself. You won't need me to do that. 
But I can train you to do that. It's really quite simple. You can do your own personal devotion. I think one week we're going to be looking at that, just doing your own personal devotion. Rather than just relying on church once uh, a week, do your own personal devotion. Get, digging into your scriptures yourselves. And then fourthly, this is what I was taught, and I do this all the time. Ask questions. Ask questions. Ask as many questions as you can possibly ask. So, um, we want to do this, and we want to, what we want to do uh, this week is really just explain to us is, is what can we do to really take on board our personal responsibility uh, for being devoted to teaching. It will make a huge difference. And I don't know what you pitch you would pay. I don't know what your goal would be. Would your goal just be to know Scripture better? Um, I think your goal could be better than that. Your goal might be to be really strong and solid and not easily swayed not easily put off the things of God. And that's not going to happen, to be honest with you, just by coming to church each week, as much as that will help. It's going to need you taking some personal responsibility for that. And that's what it looks like when we mature. So I'm going to share a story just as I finish, uh, and then we're going to do a little exercise we did a few weeks ago that people really seem to enjoy, so I want to do it again. I want to share a story about a guy, that, um, just to finish, from the Bible, who, in my mind, this is a great metaphor for the subject we're talking about today. The fact that God gives us resources, but we don't always sometimes use what God has given us. And then what's going to happen is you're going to help us think through why that is. So if you've got your Bibles, I'm going to do this quite quickly. Just turn to 2 Kings chapter 13. 2 Kings chapter 13. Um, I'm going to take you through this story and explain what happens. It's a weird story with weird things that happen. Then most of the time when you look at this story, you look at it and you think, what on earth was that about? So it says this in uh, 2 Kings 13. Now, Elisha had been suffering from the illness from which he died. So, Elisha is a great prophet. Gehazi, king of Israel, was not, by the way, a very religious man. But Jehoash, king of Israel, went down to see him and wept over him. So, he goes to the prophet and he says this, My father, my father, he cried, the chariots and horsemen of Israel. This is a weird thing. If I went up to, um, went up to David and said, David, my father, my father, the chariots of Viridian. That'd be a bit odd, wouldn't it, to do that? So what's he saying? So you have to understand Hebrew thinking. If I was to get you to describe something, if I was to get you to describe this shaker, uh, so after three, shout out a description of this shape, shaker. One, two, three. Blue, okay? So most of us with a Western mindset describe things um, kind of like decoratively. It's blue. Yeah, it's small, it's large, it's tall. Uh, in Hebrew... Uh, particularly in those days, most things were described by its function. So it would say, uh, they would shout out, it makes noise, it creates rhythm. Okay, well, for most of the time it creates rhythm. Um, so, um, so when he says, my father, my father, the chariots and horsemen of Israel, what's going on? What he's basically doing, he's going to the prophet, and this is really important. He's about to be attacked by a king who a few years ago had wiped out 100,000 people in one day. Jehoash, in his army at that point of time, if you do the study, had 10 chariots, 50 horsemen, and 10,000 foot soldiers. So this guy's about to get wiped off the planet. He's not very religious, but he realizes that his only hope is in God. So he goes to the prophet and says, my father, my father, the chariots and horsemen of Israel. In other words, you are our only hope. So how many of us know that without God, we're, we're going to have a struggle? 
And we know that God has given us resources. It may not be a prophet, but he's given us the word of God and, and many other resources. In a similar situation to us, then, then the story goes on a little bit. It says this, Elisha said, get a bow and some arrows, and he did so. Take the bow in your hands and said to the king of Israel, when he had taken it, Elisha put his hands on the king's hands. Open the east window, he said, and he opened it. Shoot, Elisha said, and he shot. Lord's arrow of victory, the arrow of victory over Aram, Elisha declares. You will completely destroy the Arameans at Aphek. Pretty good so far. So what he's saying to him is, it's a little bit weird. Um, in those days, let me explain this. Just in those days, if you were at war with someone, so let's say Howard and Ryan are at war. Howard has a tribe and Ryan has a tribe. Uh, Howard's tribe live up the hill. Ryan's tribe live down the hill and there's a river flowing. So Howard's tribe get water from the river. Ryan's tribe get water from the river. Howard decides to block the river and dam it so he keeps all the water. So what Ryan's tribe would do is they would effectively declare their intention to go to war. So the way they would do it is they would go to the land and they would shoot an arrow or throw a spear into that opposing land and declare their issues. You've done this and we're going to go. And I think it was like 30 to 50 days before they would go to war. Not exactly a surprise attack. What's happening here is the... Um, prophet is basically saying to Joash, hey, with God, you're not on the defense, you're on the attack. And when God comes into your life, that's what happens. You're not on the defense, you're on the attack. So everything's looking good. He's just said to him, you do this and you're going to get complete victory. Everything's going to be great. How many of us want a complete victory? Want to feel like, absolutely, we want a complete victory. But then this is what happens. He says this. You'll completely destroy the Arameans at Aphek. Then he said, take the arrows, and the king took them. Elisha told him, strike the ground. He struck it three times and stopped. The man of God was angry with him and said, you should have struck the ground five or six times. Then you would have defeated Aram and completely destroyed it. Now you will defeat it only three times. There are lots of Christians who are only living a half victorious life. And I'm going to suggest to you, this is my suggestion, not necessarily the Bible, this is my suggestion, that one of the reasons that is, is we're not using all the resources that God has given us. We're only using them half as much as we could. And what's bizarre about this story is he tells him, you're going to have a complete victory. And then he says, oh, no, you're not going to have half a victory. So the word of God says to us, you can have a complete victory, but here are the resources for you to use. And for some reason, Jehoash only strikes the ground three times. He should have struck it six. Now, he didn't know he was supposed to strike it six, and we don't know why he only struck the ground three times. So we're going to do a little exercise, and it's only going to take a few minutes, and we've done it before, and I think this will be really helpful. Lena and uh, Gabriel are going to help us, and Orion's going to come and just, uh, uh, just lead us just by playing some instrumental music. What's going to happen is this. And if you were here last time we did this, hopefully you'll really enjoy it. You can use your phone, um, but we've got some paper and pens if you'd like to. And what we're going to do is this, is we're all going to read this verse. Then he said, take the arrows, and the king took them. Elisha told him, strike the ground. He struck it three times and stopped. So the question is, why do you think, why did you? We're going to create something called drash. This is a very biblical Hebraic principle. Uh, Jesus would have been used to this. And uh, we're going to do it by doing this. We're going to... Rewrite the verses. You're going to rewrite the verses in first person. 
So that verse, I want you to rewrite it as low you are Jehoash. So I want you to, I want you to write down, um, this is what happened, and the only thing I want you to do is include what the character may be thinking or feeling. So write it in first person, as though you're telling me the story, as though you're Jehoash, and tell me why you only struck the ground three times. So retell the story, fill in the gap, the motive, for the purpose, but whatever you do, don't change the facts. It's really simple. You can use your phone. Maybe you've got notes on your phone. If you would like some paper and a pen, just put your hand up and we can pass that to you. So just give us a wave if you haven't got any a phone. And we're just going to do this for three or four minutes. And then we're going to, um, the brave ones of you are going to come out and share. Um, but yeah, just uh, just give us a wave if you've uh, you've got some. Okay, great. Thank you. You know, when um, in the early church, the format of church was interesting. They would have worship, somebody would read scripture, then we'd have teaching, and that's where we stop in church most of the time. But what they would then do is they would go on to have questions and answers, and they'd have some kind of interaction. So I like to do that just occasionally here. So, Okay, give me a wave if you've finished, if you're ready. You're not volunteering, just give me a wave if you finish. I know some of you are panicking. Okay, okay, mix now waved. Okay, <laughs> okay, I'll give you just a few seconds more for those who are just taking a little bit of time. Some of you are writing like entire commentaries on. So here's what I'd like to do if, if you finish, and if you would like to serve us just by sharing your thoughts, it would be great to get you on stage. Maybe we could have four or five of us. What I'd like is um, you, however, to read out exactly how it is on your paper, not just generally tell us. So I need you to read it out as it is on your, on your phone or your piece of paper. So if you would like to come up, give me a wave. Okay, Hal, thank you. Who else would like to come up? Uh, David, thank you. Thank you. Come ahead. Wonderful. So all the men, any ladies? Come on the stage, guys. On the stage, Hal. Any ladies? A ladies' perspective? I know ladies always take instructions. You're probably thinking, oh, we always take directions, so. Okay, thank you, Becky. Oops, is anybody else? One more person. We got anybody younger who would like to have a go at this? <laughs> okay. Here we go. Okay, so we're gonna just gonna pass it down the line. I'm gonna start with Hal. And what you want you to do is just listen to different perspectives because it could be that God speaks to you through this. It might be, oh, yeah, this is, a, this is a reason why I sometimes don't always use all that God has given us. Hal, thank you. Oh, is it on? David is. There we go. Okay, not wanting to destroy him. That's interesting. Interesting. Come back to that one. David. Yeah, sometimes that's true, isn't it? It's like, uh, is this really necessary? Do I really need to do this? Interesting. I've never heard that one. Des destroy. That's an interesting thought. Ed? Oh, sorry. Ed. <laughs>
That was a bunch of arrows picked up in a tent. So, and he expected me to do more. Okay, so just too much effort, really. Maybe absolutely. Thank you, Becky. Sorry, I just can pick you over so people can see. Okay, yeah. So I think that's true. Sometimes is we think, well, I mean, that's a good summary. Is that sometimes we think, well, God's done it. So what do I need to do? And we don't realize that we actually have a part to do this. Okay, let's give our guys three uh, a round of applause. Thank you, guys. Appreciate that. Thank you. Okay, so um, just uh, let me just summarize by saying that. Um, here's Joash. He gives this amazing promise. He realizes that he's got this incredible resource. He realizes that he, he wants a victory. He goes, he does a great thing. He does what you guys have done. Is he goes to the place where he can get something. He goes to the prophet. You guys have come to church. That's fantastic. But then maybe that's what, like Becky said, maybe he thinks, well, you know, the prophet will do it for me. Uh, the reality is we have a responsibility and uh, we want to encourage you and we want to equip you. And our role as we see as leaders is as best we can is to equip you so you can be devoted. Um, and devotion's commitment, isn't it? It's commitment. It's not instant. It takes time. Uh, but it's a wonderful thing. It leads to a wonderful place. So let's pray and ask the Lord to help us uh, this morning. Lord, we thank you. Um, for a beautiful, cool morning. Uh, we thank you for fellowship, for time that we can spend together. Uh, we thank you, Lord. We um, are excited about what happened 2,000 years ago in that church uh, where people who were devoted um, to the same teaching that we get, um, uh, just, just the church exploded and uh, many, many people's lives were touched, Lord. Uh, we thank you that you say we just need the faith of a mustard seed we thank you for Cheryl, who was afraid, but did it anyway. And uh, God, we pray that we will give you all that we can give you, so you can take it and do some, something wonderful through it. In Jesus' name we ask it, Lord. Amen.